I never really understood why as a society we criminalized drugs in general and addiction. Jersey and states across the country start the process of legalizing marijuana, legislators, cannabis business owners, and activists have a lot to think about. How does a state make the leap from criminalization to legalization? And how do dispensary owners create socially responsible businesses? I'm Elliot Chaparelli, and this is Community Dialogues, a program for frank discussions about race, racism, and social justice. In this episode, we're talking to Charlotte Hanna about marijuana legalization. She owns an ethically focused cannabis dispensary in Massachusetts that's part of a nonprofit partnership. Great, so thank you for joining me. Um, so first of all, Charlotte, why did you want to open a dispensary? What brought you to the business? Um, well, I have been watching the market for a long time and fascinated by uh, legalization and thought to myself, I'm just going to be really, I'm just going to kick myself if I don't try to go for it. Um, because uh, I find the industry fascinating. It's, uh, it's something that's completely new for people, but um, be, having it be legal, but it's not new to me because <laughs> I've been a consumer for a long time. And, um, and I never really understood why as a society, we criminalized drugs in general and addiction. Um, and so this is something um, from a policy perspective, I have followed closely for 30 years. Um, so that I wanted to be involved in this new emerging business, which is very exciting and creative, but also um, be a part of uh, maybe changing uh, you know, the way that we've approached certain communities that have been hurt by criminalization. Um, so what sets your dispensary rebel apart from other dispensaries? Well, it's actually rebel. Um, rebel, rebel is uh, the French word for rebel. Um, so I, it's, it's actually really pretty different. Um, I've been so happy with the response that I've gotten from customers who've been to lots of dispensaries around Massachusetts and on the East Coast and then also on the West Coast. And I'm, um, I think what consumers tell me and what I was trying to create was um, an experience that's a, like a regular shopping experience where you walk into a store, there's product on the shelf. You, sh you know, we visually merchandise all of the product for people with um, a lot of educational material. And, um, and let people just walk around and shop as they would going any, into any store. And I think that that is really different than the very um, sort of sterile medical um, experiences that most customers generally see when they go to dispensaries. Um, and you also donate some of your profits toward expungement of previous marijuana convictions. Can you talk about that? Yes, well, that is just, um, one part of a larger uh, strategic partnership that we have with a really incredible nonprofit organization. So we are, our business is a private sector, nonprofit sector um, partnership um, that in, in many ways. So this organization is called ROCA and they work with uh, young people that are caught up in the criminal justice system. And um, so one of the things that we do is donate um, money to ROCA 
Um, and that money is supposed to go toward helping the people in their network that they are already working with that are involved in, you know, criminally justice involved, um, uh, help them expunge their marijuana records. And I, and the law firm that I'm working with in, in Massachusetts, it was, you know, if you want to get into the cannabis business, get ready to spend a lot of money on legal fees. <laughs> so, um, so I sort of, you know, asked my, the law firm that we're working with to consider taking some of the time that they um, dedicate to pro bono work to doing um, expungement. So that's sort of the plan is, and we, you know, we haven't done the, this expungement day yet, but that's what I've asked Roka to do is to, you know, you, we're going to plan an expungement day. We'll bring the attorneys um, pro bono and, and Roka will, you know, use that money that we give to them to help them um, get pe bring people in, um, you know, some of these things, you know, when nonprofits need to do work, they need to raise money and um, to, to have hire the staff to do the works. And I understand that having worked in the nonprofit sector myself. So that expungement uh, money is going to our nonprofit partner and it's a part of a much larger um, partnership that we have that I think is uh, a pretty, groundbreaking, you know, I humbly say for the cannabis industry, it really is. Um, so I'm, as somebody in this industry, when states legalize, old marijuana convictions aren't necessarily automatically overturned. Why, like low level ones, obviously, but why, why not? And what laws could be implemented in states that are legalizing now to make that happen? And obviously you're not a lawyer. I'll add that. Yes, so um, I will say that in Illinois would be a state that if, if I were a legislator or regulator in, in New Jersey, and on the expungement issue, I think Illinois would be the state to benchmark. We actually have um, a pending license in Illinois and, uh, as well, in addition to Massachusetts. And so, um, and what they did a really good job. They have a lot of challenges, certainly. I can say that from being a small business trying to open up in Illinois, they have a lot to figure out. But the, I think the one thing that they did do very well is um, how they handled expungement. They just, they, you didn't need to go to apply and, and, and you know, they didn't put the onus on the individual to figure out how to expunge their record because that's overwhelming. And I can say, you know, from my, our own experience working with people in Roca that want to come work with us, when, when you, when they start, um, discussing their, their, their felony records or misdemeanor records and, and, and you know, knowing that they have to go to the state government to present their criminal record, their quarries, before they can become employed in the cannabis industry, people um, are, get nervous about that. So, so I think what Illinois did, um, you know, rather than putting the onus on the individual to find a way to expunge their record, they automatically expunged all the records. And I think that that's what New Jersey regulators and legislators should consider doing. That was actually another one of my questions. Is there a state that's a prime example of a socially responsible cannabis marketplace? Are there other states that have done taxes or set aside licenses that have been prime examples of um, social responsibility and opening up this industry or is it just Illinois? No one has done it well yet. I can say that um, for sh with, with a great deal of certainty. Um, it is very difficult. And, um, and 
because I am, I think a lot of states are looking at Massachusetts and Illinois um, because they were some of the first to really try to tackle the social equity problem on a large scale really deliberately. Um, I think they each have um, parts of their regulatory framework that are good and, and some that are bad. So um, in Illinois, they did set aside a tax revenue, which Massachusetts did not do. They, Illinois automatically earmarked a portion of the tax revenue that's collected from marijuana taxes to go into a fund to um, provide you know, low interest loans to social equity operators that want to apply. So that was a really good thing. Massachusetts does not have that. And access to capital is one of the most um, challenging parts of getting into this business. You need to know how to raise money or you need to, you need to have a, a million and a half minimum to get into this business. And um, you know, I'm fortunate that I have access to, to a network of people that have been able to you know, come on board with me. And you know, I, I raised you know, a nice amount of money because I know how to do that. And I have a background in that. Um, but if you don't have access to, there's no commercial lending available at all. Um, so if you do want to borrow money and you, and you don't know how to raise equity capital, um, there, you don't really have any opportunities to borrow any money from any traditional lenders. So, so um, I think providing um, that kind of, uh, you know, earmarking a fund so that people can get low interest loans is really critical. And Illinois did a good job at that. Um, I think Massachusetts, um, these agencies are all, and this is what I say to the regulators, and I have good relationships with our regulators, that we're all startups. They're startup regulatory agencies and we're startup um, businesses. So we need to work together to help shape to the, the future of how we're gonna regulate this and build this industry. So um, as long as regulators um, see themselves that way, that they are startup agencies and that, that this is not gonna be perfect out of the gate and they need to be able to adapt and listen to the businesses that they are regulating. Um, so for example, in Massachusetts, um, it's not a limited license state. I mean, if I were to say one thing to regulators in New Jersey, it would be do not do a competitive bid li limited license when they offer out these licenses. Um, you know, because it just, as you know, in New Jersey, I don't know how many lawsuits there are that have blocked, you know, the, the applicants from opening. Illinois is the same. It's a limited license state. We're caught up. We didn't get involved in lawsuits, but there must be six lawsuits right now that have blocked progress forward. So guess who that helps? The, the blocking of progress with lawsuits helps the major conglomerates that are in the industry that went into these states and paid $60 million or more to buy licenses when they were medical and, and made, paid, placed a bet that um, someday they would be first to market. This is in Illinois, you know, these lawsuits that are happening are basically benefiting the big money, you know, large multi-state operators. So there, there, that didn't happen in Massachusetts. Massachusetts created a very complex regulatory environment. And, and, um, and so it made it difficult to get into the market, but it's not limited. It's not, it's not a competitive bidding process that gets caught up in lawsuits. Can you explain a little bit more what limited license means? Not all of our listeners will know. Okay, so, um, so a limited license is, uh, basically what New Jersey has done in the medical market. They said, 
there will be six licenses. I, I mean, I'm just making this up. I don't remember exactly how many licenses they issued. And so the state government creates a, um, like we'll, we'll just call it like an RFP, a request for proposal of like a competitive bid. And when you do a competitive bid with government, it's a very, del you know, you have to, it's, you have to follow all the rules. You have to apply and, and, and they, you really can't talk to the regulators. They have, there has to be a, a separation of, uh, you know, for, you know, for, you know, compliance reasons, any communication with your, with the regulator who's making the decision. So you have to be very careful. Um, and then they score the applications based on some public um, scoring um, that everyone knows in advance. And then they issue, you know, the six licenses that they say they're going to issue. And that's, that's all, the, the, those are the only licenses that are available. So of course, those licenses become very valuable in a market like New Jersey, which is so close to New York and, and certainly a you know, large population. Um, that's what they did in Illinois. It was a competitive bid process. And um, that's what, you know, lots of states in the East Coast have done. Um, uh, Pennsylvania, is another example, caught up in lawsuits because they did a limited license opportunity. Massachusetts did not do that. Massachusetts um, basically said, as long as you meet the requirements that we set forth in the regulations and you can get your local municipality to get on board and, the, and your neighbors and um, find the real estate and you can get the license. Um, so there are certainly um, inherent barriers to that process and that are, I would call them more market-based barriers, um, but they're not regulator-created barriers. And so it's a little easier to get into the market there um, than a place where there's a limited license. Okay, so just to wrap up, um, what steps do you think dispensary owners who are planning to open in New Jersey need to take to make sure their business is socially responsible? Um, I think one of the most important things that we can do is to develop talent pipelines that aren't the normal ones that one would go to. So try to find a way to reach out and go deep into communities that have been hurt by criminalization of marijuana. Um, and it takes a lot of extra time and effort to make sure you're recruiting a diverse workforce, but put the time and effort into it because it really is important. And the second thing that I would suggest is to consider um, ways of rewarding talent um, that help them build capital and equity with you um, so that their interests are aligned with your interests, they'll work hard and um, have an opportunity to build wealth with you. Because I do believe that um, solving some of these equity issues we have in the industry um, is not just about giving one, one entrepreneur an opportunity to open their business, but it is more, again, we're gonna have more traction on these issues if we incentivize all businesses from a regulatory perspective to want to incentivize and reward all businesses to build, help build a diverse workforce, uh, particularly focused on communities that have been disproportionately impacted by the war on drugs and build um, incentive and reward systems that I know from my own career that I've had access to in other you know, 
incredible companies I've worked for uh, to give those opportunities to the people that come and work for us in, in dispensaries as well. So that um, I think that we can have a much wider impact across a larger um, workforce um, if, we, if we think more broadly about equity and, and, and encouraging equity um, in many forms throughout the industry. Charlotte, thank you so much. My pleasure. That's it for this episode of Community Dialogues. Our music is courtesy of bensound.com. I'm Elliot Chaparelli. Thanks for listening.